Sparklers and Destroyers, this is Haley Crusher Kane, and you're listening to Sparkle and Destroy Podcast, episode 41. This is a very special podcast detailing my long-awaited and infamous ride with 80s billboard queen, Angeline. If you don't know who Angeline is, I suggest giving her a quick Google before you do. You're going to want a visual on this one. A-N-G-E-L-Y-N-E is her name, and don't forget it. So basically what I'm doing today is I'm reading from the very exclusive hot pink little teeny tiny zine that comes along with my latest 7-inch called Jacaranda out now on Rita Records and Surf and Kai Records as well as from the band Haley and the Crushers. So um, this zine came with the record. It has this entire story on it and now that the record's been out for a little bit I figured why not do an audio version of the zine so you guys can all listen to and laugh at my experience with the one, the only, Angeline. Also on this episode, you will hear Haley and the Crusher's new song, Angeline. So hopefully this just makes you feel like you are driving down Sunset Boulevard with the top down in that pink Corvette with us, and it just gives you a little bit of sunshine during a dark time. All right, guys, here you go. Pink your guts out. Thrills and nausea in LA. Pull over, I murmured weakly, then again in a desperate husky voice that surprised my driver, 80s billboard queen Angeline. Her unbelievably huge blue eyes grew even more cartoonish. Please, I gasped, my cold, wet hands making twin pools on the black leather interior. Please pull over now! I knew then that I was actually going to throw up. Yes, I was going to spew in Angeline's famous hot pink C7 Corvette Stingray. The year was 2016, and I was the lucky contest winner driving around Los Angeles with the mysterious busty icon some three decades after she and her mysterious self-aggrandizing billboards first materialized on the Sunset Strip. Angeline was the stuff of Hollywood legend, a buxom blonde goddess sprung to life from an enchanted mudflap. I'd seen the old billboards from the 80s, her ample breasts floating high above puny human traffic. Everything about her was pink hot pink. Her very being seemed to scoff at the idea of gravity. Without much thought, I dropped my business card into a pink box at Ozzy Dot's surf store on Hollywood Boulevard. It was a spring day in 2016 and I was struck by the homespun advertisement. Win a ride with Angeline. I was with my friend Natalie who was hungover and I was faring only slightly better. Hey, think I'll win? I nibbled on the stem of my cat-eye sunglasses and posed suggestively. Waist in, bust out. Natalie cackled, tossing her dark hair like a mischievous pony. She would be lucky to win a ride with you. (laughs) My business card said freelance writer after my name. It was powder pink with a typewriter on it. Natalie's card, all white and very grown up, said D.O. for Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine. As I plunged my hands into a bin of $3 vintage scarves, a warm, knowing feeling inside my chest told me I just might really win. Someone like Angeline would rig the contest to help promote her own image, I thought. I do believe in luck, but I also believe in meeting the world halfway. 
Natalie and I soon returned to the day's mission, scouring Hollywood for a red petticoat she could wear under her teal wedding dress. By the time we discarded the tinfoil husks of our burrito lunch, the pink box was a distant memory. A few weeks after my trip to Aussie Dots, I received a text. It was from Angeline's manager. Let's call him Sam. Congrats, Haley! You've won a ride with Angeline! Before I could respond, Sam called me. To my delight, he had the demeanor of a sassy housewife dishing over coffee. I prefer phone calls too, I said, as if I weren't a millennial at all. I know that's very retro now. Sam delivered a good-hearted natural laugh. I soon found that he loved talking about Angeline and would do so for long stretches if prompted. Perhaps he just liked having someone to talk to. She's done hundreds of TV appearances, Entertainment Tonight six times, Access Hollywood and Extra, you name it, Sam said during one of our gab sessions. He was trying to tell me about her upcoming appearance in a James Franco movie when I finally asked how they'd met. Sam said he'd moved to LA in the 80s, emboldened by his childhood love of the band and TV show, The Monkees. At the time, he was a struggling portrait artist. That's when he fell in love with Angeline's strange billboards. Of course, he was itching to create a portrait of the miraculous plastic beauty. I spotted her car outside of Fredericks of Hollywood, actually, he said, the embarrassment rushing back into his memory. So I bravely went in there and I gave her one of my business cards and I talked to her a little bit. He paused and sighed happily as if remembering his wedding day. That is brave of you, I said, meaning it. To just go and say hi to her? And it all worked out. Yes, it did. I've been doing this for 30 years. When you're with someone for 30 years, it just has to work out, he said. With Angeline. For 30 years. I was dumbstruck. He said I'd understand when I met her for my ride. I'd see what a sweetheart she is, how professional she is. I asked Sam if Angeline was his only client. He said he wasn't really an agent or even a manager. She's the boss. I'm just the main guy that follows up on the various calls. You're a good friend, I corrected. Best friend, he said. At the moment, I wanted to gaze at the portrait that must have sparked the beginning of their obviously intense friendship. I asked Sam if he had a website for his art. He didn't. I don't want to have any kind of digital footprint on this planet, he said matter-of-factly. It was a source of pride, he added, that he and Angeline had no Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram. To preserve the mystery, I offered. Sam howled. Oh yeah, some of these people, when they blow their nose, they have to update their Facebook account. They'll say, sneezing all day long, hashtag sneezing mania. For someone completely off the internet, Sam was pretty good at making fun of it. I imagined Angeline's self-proclaimed BFF lounging on a couch somewhere in the valley, cradling a real rotary phone. Other people, you know, the internet is for other people that want to make themselves 10 times more important than they already are, he sighed. Now that everyone has their own virtual billboard, Angeline has lost her power, I thought. Instead, I just said, true, true. Over the next few days, I texted everyone that I knew. OMG, I won a ride with Angeline. Pink heart emoji, car emoji, head explosion emoji. This seemed appropriate. Of course, I texted Natalie first, and she sent back a stream of exclamation marks. I'd won. When I casually mentioned the contest to my dad a few days before I was to drive down to LA, I didn't expect much fanfare. 
A North Hollywood native, he traded his usual wry sarcasm for a childlike exuberance. It was endearing hearing this sensitive, feminist, Joni Mitchell-loving NASA nerd so full of joy and giddiness over a hopelessly self-absorbed Martian like Angeline. I thought about her lip-syncing to the song Cause I'm a Blonde in the movie Earth Girls Are Easy. Dad wouldn't even let me watch MTV growing up because it objectified women. I know who Angeline is, my dad lamented. But when I first saw her, I couldn't figure out what she was. I tried to put myself in his shoes. The first few billboards showed up around 1984. Angeline curled up on the hood of her pink Corvette like a sunbathing cat. Then, like gremlins, she multiplied. At one point, there were 200 giant pinups of her helmet hair likeness all around LA. She wore skimpy lingerie, spandex, and new wave style sunglasses. One downtown building featured an 87 foot tall mural of a pouting Angeline. (laughs) She just appeared one day like a wet dream, dad went on. Like an amazing, beautiful new car, but there's no car company behind it. We took turns trying to describe her to no avail. She's like Andy Warhol, I said. A geisha, all image, it doesn't matter who she really is. She's like a flower. Like, you admire her from a distance, but it just requires no exchange. Finally, he got it right. In LA, he said, we had the giant donut on top of Randy's Donuts, we had Bob's Big Boy, and we had Angeline. I softened, switching off my reporter's voice. She's a relic to me, but she still seems so real to you, huh? I said. Dad sighed. I could hear him frown at the word relic. (laughs) Angeline would never rust in his eyes. You have to understand, he said. She was a pioneer. She came before everyone who was famous for being famous. She was like Mae West, the actresses of the 60s or those superwomen before her, the ones who had no public persona but what the studio made for them. I only ever knew Angeline as an icon, he said, because that's what she presented herself to be. As I made the four-hour drive down to L.A. one morning in late April, I thought about fame. Angeline was a force of nature, a sacred deity, but of what? Sex? That would be too boring. She was too weird. I imagine she must be in her 60s now, yet I had no real way of knowing. Wikipedia was useless. Like Banksy or the Black Dahlia, Angeline was still a question mark. Sam, her manager, was right. In 2016, no one knew anything, literally anything about the Billboard Queen's true identity, except maybe where she liked to buy coffee or shop for lingerie. This was way before official Angeline appeared on Instagram, spilling her cleavage into the forgiving glow of a ring light. Before the 2017 Hollywood Reporter article revealed her real name, Ronia Tamar Goldberg, date of birth, October 2nd, 1950, and native homeland, not Mars, but in fact, the former Polish People's Republic. Yes, this is all totally fascinating, but we'll have to save it for a different story. 
At the time, I was a small-time reporter, and I naively fantasized about blowing the lid off the mystery like Velma from Scooby-Doo. I was teetering at the ledge of my 20s, having fled a smelly, cramped punk house in Long Beach for the quiet, calm spaciousness of San Luis Obispo, California. I preferred to live close enough to LA to flirt with its edges, but far enough away to stay out of real trouble. I now imagined myself to be a broke superhero, writing for the local paper by day, playing local punk shows by night. Like most writers, I secretly believed that my real job was to gather as many crazy experiences as I could and spin them up fiber by fiber into cotton candy. It was the morning of Saturday, April 30th, 2016, and I was sitting at the Los Feliz coffee bean Sam had suggested. My friends Leslie and Brian had dropped me off that morning with time to spare, too much apparently because I was sucking down the dregs of my extra, extra large iced coffee and considering another. Brian, who worked for a skateboard company, had dropped me off in a sweet early 70s Buick Electra, a prop for a photo shoot. The car was cherry red with a matching red interior. The three of us had cranked the radio up with the top down, already feeling like somebody's. The anticipation for my ride with Angeline ran high. The night before, Leslie and I had watched old 80s music videos and drank strong cocktails while I painted my toenails pink, in honor of the occasion, of course. We traded Angeline sightings and then we watched her 1991 appearance on the incredibly cheesy program Up All Night, where Angeline makes a deadpan appearance during a segment that can only be described as a lingerie fashion show disaster. Anytime the host, dressed in those unflatteringly high-waisted lace panties and a hideous matching teddy, said, Welcome back to Up All Night, she twisted the up into a high-pitched squeak like a dolphin. Like, welcome back to Up! All night, <laughs> Angeline in her jet black sunglasses and frilly getup made a point to outsqueak the host to the point of comedy. Neither Leslie nor I could tell if she was being truly vapid or subtly genius. I was prepared to find out. Now I sat at a small circular table at the coffee bean where I could peer out the window and think about what questions I would ask Angeline when she had finally entered my orbit. Periodically, I talked into my voice memo app on my phone, narrating the absurdity of the moment. I held a napkin in my hands to mop up the sweat, but it wasn't working too well. My hands are sweaty during even regular circumstances, which is why I probably break so many guitar strings. Waiting for Angeline to arrive in LA is like knowing a bomb is about to go off, but no one else is in on it, I said into my phone. Then I said, I wonder how she'll even be able to park in this congested parking lot. I want to pee right now, but I'm afraid I'll miss her. I guess I was making notes for later. A tan, athletic-looking mom and her cluster of good-looking children swiveled their heads to look back at me to see if what I was wearing had changed, I guess. I had chosen to don a metallic teal and silver 1960s-style dress with a poofy skirt, a big teal clip-on earrings, and pink suede platform heels. Oh, and a vintage white stole made from some sort of snowy, feathered animal. This was my way of meeting the world halfway. I'd dress the part. Should we wait with you? Leslie had asked as I stepped out of one ridiculous vehicle only to wait for another. Sam didn't say anything about bringing anyone, I answered, feeling like a buzzkill. Honestly, I didn't want Angeline to flutter away like some rare tropical bird. When Angeline finally emerged in the coffee bean doorway, 20 minutes later, she looked a lot like a rare tropical bird. She was tiny, so much tinier than her billboards. Why this surprised me, I can't say. 
She wore a skin-tight black tube dress emblazoned with grapefruit-sized pink, orange, green, yellow, and purple polka dots, a lightweight neon pink windbreaker open at the top to reveal her proud basketball-sized synthetic breasts, sand-colored pantyhose, and open-toed cork-wedge platforms with leopard print trim. Her tease to Jesus' hair was a shock of white stuffing, standing at military attention. She looked like um, the love child of an 80s troll doll and a modern Bratz doll. I hadn't seen the pink Corvette pull up, so I was startled by the immediate spotlight that seemed to shine on her. She moved swiftly, with an air of weary importance, like a flight attendant. I waved and stood up, smiling like a clown. She stalked over to my table, a jumble of pink lipstick, cleavage, and hair. It wasn't a wig, but it wasn't all real, I thought. I introduced myself, and she put her dainty hand in my sweaty one. It was like a soft, deflated white balloon. I briefly considered kissing it because that felt like the right thing to do. I get a very special coffee, she said in her high, incredibly breathy voice, half Michael Jackson, half Marilyn Monroe. I blinked, adjusting my eyes. She carried on, unfazed by my awe. Do you want me to show you how they make my special order? Angeline motioned for me to follow her to the coffee bean bar. She somehow emerged at the front of the line, just slightly adjacent to it. An imaginary cue for self-made celebrities, maybe? She nodded some code language to the barista. I wondered if this Gen Z fetus had any idea who the lady in the pink car truly was. She mimed something to the kid, showing him exactly how to pour and pump the coffee. It kind of looked like she was milking an imaginary cow. I stood awkwardly near the bar, wondering... What was I supposed to do with my body dressed as I was? Should I be acting equally eccentric, or would that just cancel the whole thing out? I wanted something crazy to happen. She turned from her orchestra and eyed the digital recorder peeking out of my purse. Are you recording this? Her voice was almost inaudible against the buzz and whir of the espresso machines. She didn't seem mad. No, I said. Oh shit, I thought. Are you going to do a story about me? Aren't you a writer? She seemed hopeful yet wary. Rightfully so, I thought. (laughs) Maybe if I am lucky, I said, because I didn't know what to say. Her attention span, like her hemline, was way shorter than I expected. Somebody will get our table. She half whined, half whispered, shooing me away. A random guy sat down on the chair I'd been sitting in. And so I went to the table, ready to defend it with my life. So this is how Angeline bossed men around, I thought. I was already doing her bidding. It was apparent that the guy sitting in my chair just wanted to know how I knew Angeline. He wanted to catch a real-life glimpse of the billboard beauty he remembered from the 80s. How long had she lingered in his spank bank, I wondered. I won a contest, I, I dropped a business card at Aussie Dots, I started, but he wasn't really listening to me. Also, I said, that's our table, if you don't mind. He nodded, laughed to himself, and got up. The whole time, he stared directly at Angeline's butt, surprisingly taut and perky. From this vantage point, at this distance, if you squinted just a little, she did appear somewhat ageless. Her waist was a blip, her narrow shoulders supporting the giant boobs and teased bobblehead of hair. The tan pantyhose gave her the look of a veteran ice skater. He headed out to the parking lot, probably to ogle her car, When Angeline returned to the table, fluffing her round, hair-sprayed bangs into their geometric shape, I was already hallucinating from the caffeine. Did I mention I had three cups at Leslie's apartment before this? (laughs)
Her skin looked visibly thin, but there were surprisingly few sunspots. Was she wearing makeup on her hands, I thought? She removed her dark sunglasses, revealing the vivid landscape of color padded, drawn, and stippled across her face. She was very small in the nose, very big in the lips, and huge in the eyes, which were ice blue against the hot pink eyeshadow and dark black coal liner. Anything that might have sagged had been pulled back, taut. I didn't count the makeup or even the plastic surgery against her, of course. I was wearing, like, the craziest teal eyeshadow I could find. Why should a woman feel shameful for wearing a lot of makeup, whatever age she might be? Why should a woman feel bad for getting plastic surgery? She looked deliberately painted like a madame in an Old West brothel. Her meticulously self-crafted image, however distorted by time, inspired equal parts intrigue and anxiety. I felt that I was in the presence of a very powerful drag queen. I still did not know what to say. Your boobs, they look beautiful today, by the way, I offered, trying on a self-effacing laugh. I'd have to wear a padded bra to get an inch of your cleavage. She sipped her drink, smiled, and said, Ooh, thank you. So, uh, what do you drink here that's so special, I asked, motioning to her cup. Abruptly, she got up, returning to the bar with a small cup, the kind you drink espresso in. She poured some of her own concoction into the little cup and pushed it towards me. Try it. It's sweet. I knew it was a bad idea, but of course I sipped it and said, Mmm. I'm a black coffee drinker, by the way. I detected some sort of caramel or vanilla flavoring happening. It was just really sweet, just like she said. I produced a faux grin for my faux friend. It was a kind gesture, but my stomach was already starting to rebel. So, do you live in L.A.? She asked, her voice so breezy it might be a different language. Oh, no, but I used to live down south. You know, I had to leave. My friends, there was just too much partying. I mean, I was a mess. It's a long story. I grew up in Hermosa Beach, Redondo Beach. I moved to Torrance, Long Beach. Now I'm in Slow, San Luis Obispo, that is. Um, I sort of grew up there, too. I'm a writer there uh, with my husband. He has a comic book store, and we play music together, and we have five chickens, Dolly, Loretta, Exine, and Belinda. I was suddenly swept away in a wave of self-consciousness, caffeine, and sugar. I blew past the checkpoints in my mind like a drunk driver. She nodded, a bored carnival gypsy. Are you very nervous? She finally asked, peering into my very soul. Breathe. That seemed like wise advice. I tried to relax for a moment, remembering my journalistic mission. I always felt more comfortable as the interviewer. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, can I ask you a few questions? That be okay? Her face nodded, but her hair did not. Has anyone, like, compared you to Andy Warhol, I said. Her preloaded answer came quick. Ooh, um, I'm kind of beyond Andy. I mean, I think everybody is somebody already, and not just for 15 minutes. Everybody is somebody, and everybody's a character. Everybody's a star in their own life. My dad and I, we were saying you're like um, a flower, like a flower growing in the concrete. Oh, no, Angeline interrupted. I don't want to be in the concrete. I want to be in the sky. The conversation went on like this for a while. 
Me trying to pin her down and see who she really was behind the billboards, and she evading. I chased her like a butterfly. When I mentioned my producer friend, someone interested in doing a documentary about her, she brightened up. Set up a meeting, she said. I'll only work with people I like, but I don't judge. I'll work with anyone, from the homeless to the White House. You're so egalitarian, I replied. She giggled like a baby doll, (laughs) then tried to frown. E-egalitarian? I tried not to judge. In Angeline eyes, everyone's equal, I said. She seemed to like this. Her bracelets jangled as she put down her empty cup. Except for the bad people, she said, her eyes bulging. And there are a lot of bad ones. With that, she picked up her phone to answer an urgent text from her studio. This was most certainly the press version of Angeline. At times, she seemed so innocent, ethereal, all-knowing. Moments later, she'd throw out bizarre statements that jarred me, like that she'd known Andy Warhol at the time of his death. But when I asked if she'd been invited to the funeral, she just mumbled something about turning down $1 million to make an appearance in New York. You look amazing, I tried instead. You look like a size zero. How do you stay so trim? What do you do for exercise? Jesus, I sound like a zombie from Woman's Day magazine, I thought. Well, she offered her best Woman's Day magazine smile. Ooh, thank you. I do the splits all the time. In the parking lot, the sun was shining just for Angeline. The Corvette seemed to have its own personality, and I admired it without touching. Frivolous, curvaceous, pinker than pink. Angeline's noble steed. Who would she be without it, I thought. Look how shiny your car is, I exclaimed like I was talking to a baby. It's, it's even more beautiful close up. You know I have two of them, don't you? Angeline said like I should be more impressed than I already was. You have so many things, I shrieked. Why was I talking like this? I was acting so weird I didn't trust myself to open my mouth again. I do, she cooed in a higher pitch. What are you into, low-cut shirts? She popped the trunk and there, before my eyes, appeared a treasure trove of Angeline merchandise. Fan club t-shirts, her magazine entitled Hot Pink, with Angeline on the cover, of course. Posters, CDs, shiny jewel cases... All I have is a card, I said, but I'm in a band. I mean, I sell merch and I understand this is what you do. This is your merch. I would love to support you. Without a beat, Angeline moaned, her blue eyes wet and glittering. Oh, I'll charge it. I jumped up and down a little on my heels to show her I was excited for her to take my money. I really did want a t-shirt. At that moment, I wanted it more than anything. She rummaged around in the depths of her trunk. Nothing was organized. Do you like divine? She asked out of nowhere, the front half of her body still inside the trunk. From this pile of stuff, she produced a framed, painted portrait of the late great drag queen. If divine were a beautiful girl, she'd be just like you. Don't you think so? This was the first real compliment Angeline had given me, and I did not know quite how to take it. That's very sweet, I replied, wishing Leslie could have heard this. Leslie has sewn her own divine Halloween costume, complete with pot belly. I did kind of look like I belonged in a John Waters movie right then. I mean, we both did, standing out in the parking lot, bent over her pink trunk. 
The little ones are about one fifty, and the larger ones are two hundred. You do know that I paint, don't you? Yeah, I lied, racking my brain. How would I know she paints? How would I know anything about her? I thought. I guess I felt that if I said no, she might take her toys and go home. I think I'll just stick with the T-shirt. I said. Her voice took on a sing-song quality then, so jubilant. Oh yeah, so great! The shirts—they're about fifty to sixty dollars. I mean, they're not cheap. While I contemplated the crazy price of the shirt, even for Los Angeles standards, a random guy appeared out of the woodwork. He had long, shaggy hair. An aging stoner out for his daily loiter. Hey, do you still have your book for sale? He asked in a monotone drawl, as if asking the elote guy for an extra lime. My my magazine? Oh yes. Angeline flipped into infomercial mode. They're they're sixty dollars each. They aren't cheap. I only have a box left, but you know I take cards. I can charge anything you like. Man, she was good at the sell. Would you like charge for a photo? And like, hey, would you mind taking it? He pointed at me. I raised his iPhone at the two of them, backlit. Angeline, a flamingo leg, like she was about to do the can can. This, by the way, is the pose her statue will strike if she's ever immortalized in bronze. In her hand, she held her pink fan, which said Angeline on it in cursive. She raised it to cover the lower half of her face, everything except those heavily lined eyes. As I snapped the picture, I snapped out of my trance. I had been under Angeline's spell again. What about this one? She asked after the guy had left. The XXL shirt she held up showed an image of her face, cocked backwards like Marilyn, exposing her neck. She wore pink arm-length gloves, and her hair had been colored a bright yellow. Underneath it said, "Angeline Fan Club. Send twenty dollars to join. Six two six nine Selma Avenue, Number Nine, L.A., California nine zero zero two eight." Three one zero two eight nine four four six nine. I wore a small, but I figured I could slash it up and sew it up the way I liked it. I could do thirty, I said as firmly as I could muster. I, I'm a writer, you know, like a punk musician. I, I don't have a ton of money. Punk? Oh, punk! Have you heard my song "Kiss Me, LA"? She asked, swiping my card through her square reader casually. Oh yeah, I said I like your punky stuff. She handed me the shirt and my debit card. Do you want to listen to punk rock music in my car? When I slipped into Angeline's pink Corvette. Sunk into it, really, like one sinks nude into a steaming Japanese-style bathtub. I finally understood why people buy Corvettes. Each acceleration tickled the region between my crotch and my belly button. It felt invasive that a car could do that to you without even asking. I couldn't even wrap my mind around this moment. I was actually inside Angeline's pink Corvette. The very one I'd spied revving down the 405 for as long as I knew to look out for it. People in other less exciting cars would soon be pointing out the famous Angeline vanity plate, snapping blurry photos that they'd share on the internet later. As we sputtered out of the parking lot, I was as alive as the hot pink wax job. So slick it appeared liquid, like the glowing stuff inside lava lamps. 
I felt bright, light, and lucky, like a contest winner should. Palm trees passed like paparazzi. We owned Fairfax, Melrose. This was the closest I'd probably ever get to miniaturizing myself and hopping inside my old Barbie Corvette, the one my dad threw out back in 1993. I never really forgave him for that. Sitting next to me in the driver's seat, in the flesh, was Angeline, looking not unlike the creepy my-size Barbie I played with as a child. Growing up, both my parents worked for Mattel, headquartered in El Segundo. Barbie who, I thought. Angeline is the ultimate prize. My famous driver tapped the accelerator impatiently as if we had places to be and things to do. We made a funny pair soaring past hipster boutiques and taco trucks. As a teen, my friends and I had shared post-show beers in many of these alleyways. We passed headline records where I'd bought some of my first British punk imports. Music was blaring from the stereo, but it was not the punk I was promised. I mean, I doubted Angeline would put on her short-lived project Baby Blue, the stuff she played when she opened for the Screamers at the Whiskey-A-Go-Go back in 1978. But this? It was probably something off her 2000 pop album Beauty and the Pink. And, well, it was mall music. I felt embarrassed for having given her a copy of my new EP, on cassette, only an hour earlier. For a while, I'd been trying to get her to tell me about her legendary life in L.A., but I'd probably committed the worst sin ever, to seem more interested in other people. I'd asked if she'd ever met Joan Jett and the rest of the Runaways, Darby Crash and the rest of the early L.A. punk rockers. You know, like back in the day. I asked about Rodney Bingenheimer's English Disco, the Go-Go's, and Josie Cotton. Surely she had stories to tell, right? She just turned up the music more. To my surprise, she'd asked about a homeless day center in San Luis Obispo. She wanted to know if I would deliver a package there. When I asked uh, what the package was for, she just changed the subject. Mysterious. As much as I was loving the experience, I just kind of couldn't shake the feeling I was on a bad blind date, wandering around in the dark. Somewhere between telling Angeline about my latest chicken death, by a raccoon, and her vaguely telling me in her best adult film star baby doll voice about her latest impressive video project, I realized I was beginning to feel pretty nauseous. Hot hairspray pulsed at my temples. I was suddenly aware that the car smelled like a chemical strawberry, like a wine cooler you'd suck down gleefully at a slumber party. Was I smelling Angeline's deodorant? Her perfume? I thought of a shapely, old-time Coca-Cola bottle, only pink. The new fragrance for women. Angeline by Angeline. If she ever had a signature scent, it would smell way too sweet and way too musky, like premium gasoline dumped over a mound of fake-scented roses or something. My head throbbed and my mouth watered, cruelly anticipating the return of the egg sandwich I'd eaten for breakfast. I wasn't sure I could take any more stopping, going, revving, or low-to-the-ground engine purring. Now, her audience of one had gone completely quiet, sullen. She did not like this. We'll be there super soon, she cooed, so full of Splenda it made me shudder. She turned back to the traffic, her boobs pointing the way. Her pout was as round and shiny and pink as a frosted donut from Randy's. It was at this point that I realized, to my own astonishment, 
I really had no idea where Angeline was taking me. When I found out I'd won a ride with Angeline, I just thought I'd won a ride. I hadn't even thought past the parking lot. Some journalist I am. I pressed a button and the passenger window slurped open. I'm sorry, I just sometimes get a little carsick, I croaked. Ooh, she said, giving me a sideways look. Her tall, fried poodle hair was as white and unreal as the sand advertised at an all-inclusive resort. The light turned green and we bolted forward again, only to stop a few inches from a beige sedan. My stomach dropped and did a backflip. I imagine the guy who must be gawking through his rearview mirror right now. What did he see? An enchanted blow-up doll and a red-headed mini-divine trying not to vomit into her own purse? Ugh, I was so mad at my stomach for making me pay attention to its boring inner workings and not the real-life Malibu Barbie fantasy at hand. The unlikely miraculousness of Angeline. So close I could taste her sadness. Angeline didn't say anything for a while. I was freaking out. The psychotic, floating face of a smiling Latina real estate agent seemed to wink in solidarity from her own public purgatory, a bus bench. She wore a Sharpie eye patch. I imagined heaving my entire torso out of the Corvette like a fancy Great Dane on her way to the appointment with the doggy masseuse. As if reading my mind, Angeline suddenly turned her own mall music down with a flick of a fuchsia talon, pursing her Pepto-lacquered lips into a heart. This was her annoyed face, I realized, with a little shock. We were just a block or two from Hollywood Forever Cemetery when I spotted it. A glowing green and orange miracle! I had never, ever, ever been so happy to see a 7-Eleven in all my life. I could feel the bile raising up from my stomach. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, I thought. Oh, pull, pull over, I said. Angeline swerved into the right lane, causing a cascade of honks. There were no parking spaces in the 7-Eleven parking lot, so she just sort of idled there, unsure of what to do next. I decided for her. Without another word, I bolted from the car like a baby deer. There was a long line snaking from the beverage case in the back to the front counter of the 7-Eleven. It seemed like everyone there was either a dead, tired construction worker or a fed-up single parent with too many bills to pay. The cashier, a total trunk of a man with a brown mustache, seemed surprised by my audacity. Do you have a bathroom? I hugged the counter, wild-eyed. No one objected to me cutting in line. I guess they'd resigned themselves to a life of gridlock. The cashier shook his head no, looking past me. How many druggies did he have to deal with in one day? I spun around and wobbled toward the candy aisle, my mouth watering hot and acrid. Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, I thought. In one burning burst of liquid, the entire contents of my stomach, mostly coffee, a little egg, shot forth like an angry brown waterfall. I watched in slow motion horror as the splatters appeared across my pink suede heels. Was this happening to someone else?
the puke went everywhere. Everywhere. It sloshed across the payday and the Snickers bars, under the shelving units. I literally left my body momentarily. Then I turned my head, wiped my mouth, and waited for the next wave to wreck my world. It was then that I realized I was standing next to an exterior window, which was to say the wall. Let me clarify. I was standing next to a floor-to-ceiling glass wall. Aside from a few advertisements for half-priced hot dogs and ice-cold big gulps, the world was right there in all of its sunny SoCal glory. (laughs) Miraculously, Angeline's car was also still idling there, parallel to the window. I could see her pink lips from here. The second wave came quickly, producing tears and snot, too. By the time I'd turned around, the cashier was already on the scene. He seemed capable, sturdy. I fought the urge to hug him. He held a mop in a bucket. I am so sorry, I said, breathless and teary-eyed from the exorcism. Please, just let me do it. I didn't know what I was really talking about. I'd never seen a customer cleaning up their own puke anywhere. Shouldn't that be a thing, I thought? The cashier, even more dead-eyed than before, was already hoisting the ancient mop out of its gray, watery holster. He was better than me, and we both knew it. I apologized again, then left the 7-Eleven. I felt like a piece of gum left under a gas station toilet seat. As I peeled open the door to Angeline's pink Corvette once more, I checked myself. The puke was mostly on my shoes. By some magic, I'd missed my dress entirely. I slid back into the black leather cradle, trembling. Angeline looked at me as if I'd taken too long picking out a snack or a lotto ticket. I'm I'm ready to go back, I said, but thanks for the ride. Her heavily powdered, unlined face struggled to convey the mildest flavor of concern. One eyelid twitched. The wobbly, jet-black doll lashes fluttered. A malfunction. So, you still want to get Froyo, right?
And there you have it, folks, the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly of my ride with Angeline. Of course, this is all in good fun. I adore Angeline in all of her weirdo glory. And if you want to support what she does, you can go to Official Angeline on Instagram. And uh, rumor has it you can still win a ride with the Blonde Bombshell. Um, hopefully you'll get a little bit farther along than I did. If you do want to support what I do, you can go to HaleyandTheCrushers.com. You can purchase all of our music right now physically from our band camp. We have CDs, 8-tracks, cassette tapes, and vinyl for you. You can also stream the music. Until we meet again, remember, take your Dramamine and sparkle and destroy. Yeah. <laughs>